With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Pitchside with Toby Reynolds, a Sports Gazette podcast, where each episode we take a deep dive into a new sporting topic with a new guest. I'm your host Toby and this week I'll be joined by Sam France to discuss the 2024 Australian Open and the future of tennis after Yannick Sinner's first major victory. Sam is the tennis editor at the Sports Gazette and is frequently found raving about the WTA Tour. Throughout this episode, we look at the possible end of Novak Djokovic, the hard-to-predict nature of the women's game, and the future of British tennis. I'm now joined by Sam to talk a little bit about the Australian Open. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Nice to be here, Toby. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. I think you're the first guest who's maybe asked me that, so it's, it's good, good to know that I'm appreciated. Um, but yeah, no, I'm excited. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about the the Australian Open and uh, maybe the future of, of the men's and, and women's games after what was perhaps a, a slightly, not controversial, but an unexpected victory. Um, but first of all, Sam, what actually happened in the uh, Australian Open? Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty exciting two weeks in Melbourne. I mean, I think the Australian Open often delivers... But in the same breath, often, at least in the men's, we arrive at the same kind of Djokovic masterclass and experience sort of ending up with him just completely controlling the whole two weeks. But but this time it didn't quite go like that. And I think it was a really, really exciting draw. And we had, you know, Sviatek losing out in the third round. You had Ribakina losing out in the second round. It was a really kind of topsy-turvy two weeks where a lot of the big players ended up losing out quite early on. Um, and then and, and just a really impressive final in the men's with Sinner coming down from two sets with, you know, Medvedev going through this awful episode once again, where he, he leads two sets and he looks in control. And he just can't quite get over the line. And I think it, it was a really, really impressive showing from Sinner where I think it it was a very deserved victory. I mean, he you know he got past Djokovic in that semi final, 
which was just an unbelievable performance again to beat Djokovic at the Australian Open is is a pretty you know worthy <laughs> feat so I think we saw what was a deserving winner and a really um yeah I think he's he's laid a bit of a marker down sinner um it was just a, a staggering display I have to say he, he just hits that ball so well I think I don't know how half of them even stay in the points but um yeah one I, I think one of the better grandstands we've had for for a long while some really exciting matches some big upsets and you know a new grand slam champion on the men's and to see sabalenka retain her australian open was equally impressive so yeah a really really exciting two weeks and lots to digest and to get through which was good yeah very very much but yeah i think best place to start is probably with novak he's won nine of the last 13 australian opens which is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, Fed, Feder has won it a couple of times. Nadal's won it once and once and Vavrinka's won it once. Yeah. Um, but otherwise it's just been Djokovic since 2011, which is unbelievable. You, I, I think I'll give you credit for this. You predicted uh, that Sinner would take out Djokovic in the semi-final in four sets as well. And I remember telling my girlfriend who's, who's a bit of a tennis fan and not gonna lie, she thought you were absolutely crazy. Um, <laughs> And I remember her, so she was laughing a little bit about it. And then, and then it came through. I mean, how how did you predict it, first of all? And, and why did you think think that? Is it is it the end of Novak Djokovic? Well, I, I mean, firstly, I think it was it was a pretty bold prediction to go against Djokovic in Melbourne, because as you said, and and is obvious by his success there, you don't really want to bet against him because he's just been so good. And every time he's looked or people have suggested that he's looking a bit vulnerable. He just proves them wrong and he comes through every single time. But I think I was, I was watching a lot of Sinner play because he had an amazing end of 2023 where he of course beat Djokovic. I think, I think he beat him twice, um, maybe even three times. And, you know, he played him in the Davis cup and when he was Djokovic had a match point and Sinner came back to, to win that whole that whole match and I think he's just been really motoring since the end of the end of last year and I'm not really sure why I thought he'd get through I just I think I'm always quite partial to betting against Djokovic because you know if you get it right (laughs) people are going to be quite impressed but I think with Sinner I mean I think I remember saying to you I felt like Sinner was the favorite going in and I just think he he was having a really strong two weeks, he'd played fewer sets than Djokovic and had really, really commanded a lot of the points and a lot of his matches that he'd played prior to that semi-final. So he looked like he was in really great form. And I think on his day, and it looked like it was going to be his day, he can just overpower these opponents. He's got such strength. He's got such a variety of shots. And the depth that he gets on them as well. I mean, he sort of managed to play Djokovic at Djokovic's game in many ways, you know, these really consistent forehands and backhands from the back, a big serve, really reliable on the big points. It just looked like someone who was not panicking at all and was really in control. So I think the end of Novak is, I don't quite think it's here yet. (laughs) I think last time, you know, at Wimbledon, when Alcaraz got past Djokovic in that amazing five-setter, 
I think there was that kind of changing of the guard narrative that was sort of floated around. And I think a lot of people indulged in that because it was such a magnificent win, again, on a court that Djokovic has been so successful on and that Alcaraz was so new to. So I really understood that kind of narrative, but I think it only took the US Open for Djokovic to lose all but, I think, two sets in his whole run where he you know, dismantled basically everyone quite convincingly and, and it looked sort of business as usual. And then he, again, won the ATP finals in Turin, beating Sinner, of course, in the final. So I think we probably would be foolish to call... I think the end of Novak Djokovic is when he retires, probably. <laughs> I can't see him uh, really dwindling like some of the ex sort of top five guys. Do you think that Djokovic is the the most, well, he's obviously the most successful, but is he the best of, well, I mean, him, Nadal or and, and Federer, would you say? Or how, how would you sort of rank the three of them? Yeah, the proverbial goat of men's tennis. I think the big three, it's difficult because they have just dominated the game. And I don't think that's a, a normal thing to see. In a, in, in a sport really to have these three guys just at the top I mean only I think only two players born in the 1990s have won a Grand Slam because they've just been in control of tennis and especially five set tennis they've been in control of this for so so long um, it's so difficult to rank because you see Nadal at the French Open and, and it's just unreal the level that he brings and you see Federer on grass and you see how elegant his shots are and who he was up against when he was you know early in his career playing Sampras and Agassi and, and some of the all-time kind of American greats as well but I think you have to say you know Djokovic is is motoring away and he's you know he's won the most he's won pretty much everything I think if he manages to get the Olympics, if he manages to win the Olympics in the summer, I think it's going to be a pretty hard sell for anyone to kind of um, strip his goat title away from him because he really is an impressive player and he's beaten Nadal and he's beaten Federer and you know, he's beaten Nadal at the French, he's beaten Federer at Wimbledon and while it sort of pains me to say it because I think out of the top three he's probably my least favourite <laughs> I think he's I think he probably does um, end up sort of clutching the GOAT title with both hands because he's just such a strong player and he's been so strong for ages. And I think he likely will be for at least the next couple of years. I can't see him really dropping off and it completely becoming this overhaul where, you know, Sinner and Alcaraz and perhaps someone else kind of picks up the, picks up the slack, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean... He is um, unbelievable, really. I don't think there's any any which way of describing it. And what he's uh, he's only th he's thirty six. To be fair, he's a lot older than I kind of thought he was. He's been around for a long time, yeah. but but yeah, I mean, I, and I guess when you kind of think about it, there wasn't that long of a period where him he was at the top of his game and Federer was at the top of Federer's. There was probably only a couple of years because Federer's almost what ten years older than Djokovic. Yeah, I mean, Federer must be, yeah, I think he must be sort of five or six years older. I think 
I think they had some really terrific matches over the years as well, which which is difficult necessarily to take a lot from. I think it was more just such an amazing spectacle that these kind of debates, I think really we've sort of just been blessed with this era of tennis. I mean, we've just seen three players who I think even in, you know, 20, 30 years are going to be the three big names still. I just think what they've done, I think it's very much the same with how Serena Williams, I think she'll always be up there as just a terrific player who just dominated the sport and was so, so strong. And yeah, I, I can see Djokovic, Federer. I can, I can see this debate just going on and on and on and on because not only is it quite a fun one and there's not really an answer to it. I think a lot of us have just been able to enjoy this era of tennis and see these guys play and see these guys play against each other. I mean, you got to, I always think you got to feel sorry for poor old Andy Murray because any other sort of 10 year period and he would have walked, he would have walked to a handful of grand slams and he's only come away with three. So, you know, again, to get three off these guys is, is, is quite something, but it just shows the, the, the level that they've been at for, you know, near on kind of 20 odd years that they've managed to effectively silence the sort of original kind of next gen of your sort of Zverevs and your Tsitsipas and, and even sort of your Medvedevs, really. They've not really managed to push on like a lot of people really expected them to. So I think, yeah, end of Novak, I think, I'm not going to I'm not going to say that I think he's got uh, some time left. <laughs> yeah, I mean the one thing Andy has though is two gold medals that that none of the others have. I mean Nadal has one, even Zverev has one as well. Um so I mean, I mean, you can always hold that over over the rest of them I guess, which will be I guess is a consolation prize perhaps. <laughs> yeah. I mean I, I I think you could I remember the last um the Olympics, maybe a year, maybe last Olympics of the previous one, Djokovic was just in completely distraught, having lost out, um, you know, not being able to go for that gold. I think if he can manage to get that, it's it will probably end up being, that will be the moment, I think, in his career when he thinks, right, maybe I have sort of done it, you know. And I think he's he's also been subject to this whole debate going on around him and often being placed third in it. And you can see him, you know, he often has a slightly more frosty relationship with spectators and the crowd, and he's more prone to sort of smashing his racket. Whereas I don't think, I mean, you'll be pretty good going if you manage to find a video of Nadal sort of losing his cool because he's just so kind of composed and that kind of peak professional. And and I think Djokovic hasn't always necessarily been viewed as that. And I think he's probably internalized some of that. And you can see sometimes he has these interactions with the with the fans where he's slightly unhappy. But I mean, yeah, you can't count out Djokovic. And I think it really was a shock that he didn't manage to go the whole way in the Aussie Open because it's just been such a, you know, it's been a place that he's just dominated at and been so impressive at. So, yeah, I mean... Exciting that Sinner won is my sort of headline on it. I think it's a really important win. It was really, it was a well-earned victory. And yeah, I'm excited for the sort of US and see if he can, you know, re retain that kind of level there and see if he can beat Djokovic there, which would be another really kind of impressive 
And I think that will be the sort of main signifier of if, you know, it's it's time for the Djokovic kind of movement to end and we embrace the new the new one. Who do you think will be leading that? Will it be Senna leading the sort of the new generation? You've already said that Djokovic is going to be hanging around for a few more years, you think. But eventually, when it does come about and over the next sort of four or five years, do you think Sinner will be up the front? I mean, Alcaraz, even two weeks ago, three weeks ago, was probably the the main man to be leading on the new generation, everyone thought. Yeah. I mean, I think those two guys are gonna are gonna be the ones that really stick around. I think what they've managed to do so young and what they've managed to do, which, you know, Medvedev and Zverev and Tsitsipas and team and this lot haven't really, despite team, you know, winning the US. Um, I think what they've managed to do in such a short period of time, you know, they've won more than Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, team. They've, I think it's Alcaraz is two, Grand Slam, Sinner, of course, is one. And I think those are the two guys who are going to really start leading the line basically i think we've you know you've got players like holger rune who who i think had a disappointing australian open losing out i think in this in the second round to you know arthur Cazo, who's a another young french guy but i think rune will come good he's we he, you know he's won the paris masters before beating djokovic in the final you know a big 1000 event but i think sinner and alcaraz are the two guys who we're going to see and hear a lot of in the in the next sort of 10 years or so I, I can't see them having this drop off that Tsitsipas and Zverev have sort of succumbed to I think they're going to really keep this level and and start being the two guys who we just end up seeing a lot of in the in the sort of latter stages of the Grand Slam so yeah I think Sin is my I think possibly even Sin more so he's the one I'd tip for the sort of the one who's going to be hoarding all the silverware and you know however many years do you think they might almost divide up similar to to Djokovic Federer and Nadal who almost had their their own sort of type of court as a specialist do you think that it might be similar with with the sort of the new guys coming through or or is it going to be a lot more evenly split yeah I mean I think it's interesting because Alcaraz you know he he had grown up on on the clay courts and yet it's not man. He didn't end up, you know. He's only and yet he's won on grass, which he's he barely played on, and he, he's winning in the hard courts um, in America. And I think Sinner's had some some pretty average French Opens as well. I think he only got to the um, second round last year. So I don't know necessarily. I think I don't think we're going to see someone like Nadal on clay for a long time because. Despite, I think, Alcaraz and Nadal have a similar game. I think Nadal on clay was just something really, really special. So I think, I mean, it's a good question because there was a sort of natural divvying up of the titles with Federer, Nadal and Djokovic, you know, with Djokovic kind of bossing the Australian and Nadal at the French and and Federer sort of filling in the gaps everywhere else. Um, But... Yeah, I think Clay Alcaraz's game is perfect for it. And I think it won't be long before he, he wins a French Open himself. And Sinner, the grass could be somewhere where he really gets going. I think it's he's got a really good game for that. Um, and again, he's just shown at the Aussie Open that he's very happy on 
on the hard court as well. You know, you can just really zip it around. So I, I don't think that, yeah, I don't think there necessarily be this kind of easy, slick divide. But as I said, I think it's going to be those two guys really battling it out for a while. I'm not sure on the current tour who's going to sort of bridge that gap between those two guys. I mean, even, even if you look at the top four now, you've got Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev and Sinner, and, and they're about 3,000 odd points away from fifth. So they're already, you know, establishing themselves as the strong players. I really wouldn't count out Medvedev from from the future as well. I mean, he's he's a versatile player. He's got a weird style. I mean, I think that I saw something where it was, they, someone was saying it was the skinniest Australian Open final they've ever seen with these two <laughs> sort of gangly players <laughs> sledging it out. I think we're gonna we're gonna see a lot of really good tennis is is what's exciting. And I think there was a lot of concern about who was really gonna step up to the plate once Federer had sort of gone and Nadal's going and Djokovic is likely on his way out sooner or later. Of course, Murray, you know, basically becoming a sort of bionic man. <laughs> I think we're we're seeing the new generation, the sort of next next generation. And I think there's some real potential there for some epics that we've been fortunate enough to witness over the last 10 20 years so lots to be excited about yeah hopefully hopefully the future tennis looks looks strong i mean on on the other side of things as well though the the women's draw very interestingly of the the men's quarterfinals all of the the players were seeded in the top 12 whereas in the women's side just four of them i mean you had sabalenka second seed and then sort of faded away while she beat coco goff as well do you see there being a, a big difference in, in the sort of men's and women's game? And, and what, why was that the case, do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really interesting one. You you can, it's so difficult to predict who is going to win a women's Grand Slam event. And yet I think a lot of people, despite the kind of chaos that ensued before, Sabalenka ended up becoming a pretty comfortable victor and one that a lot of people thought, you know, was the case originally. So it was weird because you had this sort of whole backdrop of of upsets and, and shock results and, you know, Sviatek going out in the third round and Rabakina going out in the second and, you know, Von, Marketa von Drusva, who lost in the first round, but won Wimbledon in the summer. You know, it's this weird kind of thing when you get to these Grand Slam events where some players just don't show up. And I mean, von Drusva lost... Six six two six one or something. You know, she got absolutely thumped in the first round against um, Yastremska, who of course made the, you know, came through qualifying to make the semi finals. So, I think it was it was a a weird draw. I mean, Sviatek in her first game was against uh, Sofia Kenin, who's won the French Open, and you know, you've got these Grand Slam winners all dotted around the women's tour who've had time off, who've you know, lost form, been out with injuries. So you always get a really spicy draw, I think, in the women's. You get a lot of upsets and there's a lot more movement, I think, which is really exciting. You had Sabalenka and Goff going head to head, a rerun of that US Open final last time round, where, you know, of, of course, this time Sabalenka came through. But in the other half, it was Zheng against Yastremska. Zheng, who'd not faced anyone in the top 50 until the final, which is just a staggering stat. I mean, 
I can't, you know, you can't believe how she sort of managed to get this run. And I think it's difficult because people say, you know, well, if, it's funny that she was the favorite going into every single game bar the final. And yet she's the 15th seed. She's quite young. Not a lot of people are that familiar with her game. But you can only really play, you know, the players, the player in front of you. And I think she really handed herself well, but was just ultimately kind of outclassed in the end and out hit, which is basically the, the sort of conclusion that most of Sabalenka's, you know, opponents get, which is they're just not quite strong enough. Can't outlast the kind of, you know, bombarding bombardment of these shots that Sabalenka just rains down. So it was a it was a chaotic two weeks in the women's draw with a lot of upsets. Um, I mean, I had Rubikina quite up there as someone who I thought could go quite deep into the into the tournament, and then of course she lost out in that kind of marathon twenty two twenty third set tie break against Blinkova. So yeah, there's a lot of movement in the women's draw, and I think it's unusual because it makes it it kind of brings on this criticism that, you know, it's so inconsistent and you never know who's going to win. And is there sort of, you know, you don't have these, you don't have these features of the men's tour that you, that we're kind of used to with, you know, the big three, but not too long ago, we more or less did with Serena and, you know, players like Ash Barty and, but there's just been so much movement in the women's tours. It's really exciting and it's really fluent there. And you go into an event and you think any one of these of sort of 60 players <laughs> could get into the final. Unfortunately, the Brits, not this year. You can sort of count them out. But more or less anyone you think is is capable of, of getting it, it's especially, you know, on their day. You think, well, there really could be an upset here. I don't think many saw Sviatek losing out but when you look at her sort of run you think well actually you know she faced Kennan in the first round former French Open champ she faced Daniel Collins who's you know been a real kind of giant slayer in the tour for a while you've got Noskova who eventually of course put Sviatek out who's a huge young talent I think only 19 really really big powerful game and it's one of those days when, you know, in, in a in a sort of best of three format, you can show up for an hour and, and you and you win. Whereas in the men's, you sort of have this buffer buffer of, oh, I can drop a set, right? You know, I can even drop two sets. I think we we can only look at, you know, Medvedev wouldn't have been in that final if it was best of three. And, and he would have won the final if it was best of three as well. well exactly. And and you know, Djokovic would have been out and out of the US Open in 2023 if it was he lost the first two sets, I think, in the second round to Laszlo Gere. So you get these, I just think we're, there's there's just a sort of structure in the women's game where you're there, there's a sort of proneness to upsets occurring. It doesn't necessarily speak of a sort of lower quality or anything like that. I think you actually get this really, really widespread quality, which is so brilliant and so exciting. And it's exactly why I think you know the women's tour is so exciting to follow because you, there are no there are there aren't as many guarantees. <laughs> you don't get these. It's probably going to be Djokovic, and it's probably going to be, you know, the last four. You know, Djokovic, Medvedev, Sinner, 
Alcaraz, you know, they're sort of, and sorry, and um, Zverev rather, you know, these are the sort of four or five guys that you expect in the last stages where you would have been hard pressed to find anyone who put their money on Zheng and Yastremska to make the semis. So, and yet we got two really great semis. It's strange seeing how many seeds fall in the early stages, especially seeds who've really established themselves as top 10 players, you know, with Anjabur making the Wimbledon final two years in a row and then losing out to 16-year-old Mira Andreeva, six, love 6-2, six, just an absolute hammering and Von Drusver, Wimbledon champion, going out in the first round, Sviatek, Rubikina, Sakari, all these people. I think it maybe shows how good as well Serena Williams was that she managed to win 23 titles, which is absolutely crazy. I mean, of any of the sort of modern players, you've got Venus won, won seven at a similar time. Svitex won four now. Barty won three. Osaka won four. No one else since Williams has retired has won more than four, which shows how unbelievable she was. It's funny because the, the era of Djokovic, Federer and Nadal has made a lot of people sort of expect <laughs> this this idea that the same people are going to keep winning. When, if you look at last year, even in the men's, you've got the last three Grand Slams have gone to Sinner, Djokovic and Alcaraz. But even then, we've got three different names. Whereas, you know, Sabalenka's featured in the final of the US. She won the Australian Open. She won it again this year. You know, she had a bit of a run at Wimbledon. So it is it is a strange one. I think as we continue in the men's game, once Djokovic and once Djokovic basically finishes up, we're gonna get a real kind of exciting pool of of players who can who can make these runs. I think even in the US Open, we've sort of been it's been flirted with a little bit with, you know, Ben Shelton getting to the semis at, at the US and Zverev kind of forming this comeback this this time at the Aussie Open. So you're right, it speaks of Serena Williams's kind of dominance and quality that she's managed to win over 20 Grand Slams, but no one else has really managed more than five. And it's similar with, with the men's, you know, Djokovic, Nadal and Federer have hoarded the lot with, you know, Murray getting a couple, Del Potro, Cilic, Wawrinka sort of managing to, you know, feed off the scraps. But I think the women's tour is one that is always going to bring bring you some surprises and always bring you a lot of quality and a lot of new faces and i think anyone in the top 50 has a shot at these grand slams yeah i think the australian open just was a very helpful depiction of the kind of excitement that actually ensues on the women's tour throughout the year people don't necessarily follow you know, the sort of 250 and the 500 events, but you do get a lot of different winners and it's the same with the men's in these, you know, best of three, best of five, you do get more different winners in the best of three. So we sort of have to see how, how the women's tour moves forward and sees if maybe Sabalenka can establish herself as someone that's going to win a lot more titles. I think Swiatek will, and I think Sabalenka probably will, and I think Coco Goff probably will, but out of everyone else, I'm I'm not 100% convinced we're going to see anything really change that much. I mean, a lot of a lot of British hopes, particularly in the women's game, has been that on Raducanu, she obviously got injured and, and hasn't played a lot of tennis recently, but um, was back at the Aussie Open this year, went out fairly op- early on, as did 
the rest of the Brits other than Cam Norrie, who was the only one to make it past the second round. Do you think that the sort of the future of British tennis now that Murray sort of went a few years ago and or has kind of gone off off with uh with all of his bionic parts as, as you've already mentioned, do you think that that British tennis is going to be struggling for for a sort of champion over the next few years, or or might Raducanu make that step back up, or or Cam Norrie as uh, on on the men's side? Yeah, I mean, I I was I was really impressed with Norrie at the um, in Melbourne actually. I think he you know he beat Casper Ruud and. He he managed to beat Kasparud at, at nearly everything Kasparud's good at, and he had such a sophisticated game plan. I, I mean, I was I really didn't have particularly high hopes for Nori coming in. I, I sort of averted my attention more to Jack Draper out of the Brits on the men's side. So I was I was impressed with Norin and his run, and I think it was tough. It was tough, you know, how he went out, um, losing in that you know fine fifth set tiebreak to Zverev, who of course went on to you know, narrowly miss out on the final. So it was a pretty impressive, um, you know, three or four matches from Norrie. Draper, I think he was, you know, slightly lower ranked. And I think he's going to be one that's going to climb up those rankings. He's a really, really neat, smart player for someone who's only 21, 22. So you've got, at least on the men's side, I think that's where we probably ought to be kind of uh, keeping tabs on, especially Draper. I think he's He's going to be one that can really push on. And on the women's, yeah, it's 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 difficult, really. You know, Raducanu just had that unbelievable two weeks, three weeks even, going through qualifying in, in the US Open. And no one's really managed to find that since. You know what I mean? She's, you know, of course, been injured and been subject to various coaching issues and, you know, recurring injuries. So she's been more or less out sort of since, since then. But I think it was a pretty classic and almost typical display of a lot of these Brits where they completely have the quality to to overcome a lot of these players on the tour. You've got Jodie Burridge, who's really, really strong player, got a lot to her game, really powerful, and even herself kind of admitted after losing out that she more or less just tightened up and, and kind of lost her cool, stopped winning the big points, and just couldn't quite manage the emotions and the, and the high stakes and the intensity that Grand Slam tennis brings and of course, Katie Bolter, I think she lost out to Zheng, who of course, you know, ended up forging a run to the final. I think it's just there's a, there's this inconsistency in British tennis at the moment, which is not necessarily unusual. I mean, before Murray, you had Tim Henman establishing himself sort of in the majors, but but not really coming close to what Murray's done. And and I think it's a we are all in a sort of Andy Murray come down where we do expect a lot of our Brits and they can't always sort of deliver <laughs> frustratingly. I think, you know, I think it's, it's, it's difficult because Jody Burridge played today, one of the, one of the tournaments off the back of the Aussie open and, you know, lost out in the first set and, and came back to win two sets to one, you know, showing a lot of grit and a lot of character. So they all have it in them to, to play this really strong tennis and, and challenge these big players. But it's, it's a tough one. I think Raducanu is an interesting one, of course, because we've seen how good she can be. And I think a lot of us are just sort of holding our breath that she can come back really strong, remain injury-free, and kind of find that form that she had in America. I don't know if it's necessarily going to lead her to another Grand Slam, but it will be nice to have a player who's getting to these later stages in Grand Slam tennis, is playing a lot at Wimbledon when, you know, when, when we all sort of 
discovering who Emma Raducanu was, it was this just brilliant moment. And there was such a amazing feeling that I think a lot of tennis fans got at seeing a, a female player, female British player, you know, doing really well and, and playing well. And then of course she, it only took her a couple of months to go to the US and, and have that kind of historic run where well, I don't think she drops a set. So we've got to be patient <laughs> with our Brits. And, and I think there's a lot of good, there are some, there are some young players coming through who we really have to keep an eye on. So I think at the juniors, we had the junior doubles, we had Hannah Klugman and Mimi Zhu who got to the semis sort of narrowly losing out. And these are two players I think, you know, Klugman's 14, Mimi Zhu's 16. They're playing some really, really high level tennis. Klugman, of course, won the Orange Bowl, which is more or less seen as an equivalent to a Grand Slam kind of level of, of course, juniors. Um, there are people coming through, as there always will be. I think they're, they're, those are my two names that I'd bring out early, especially on the, on, on the women's side, who are they've got a big question mark, and and I think they'll they'll end up really performing quite well and and establishing a name for themselves, Klugman especially, but. Yeah, the current state of British tennis, I think, is is difficult to navigate, really, because there's not really a lot of stuff to go on. You know, we sort of do all right at the Davis Cup and we do all right in the Billie Jean King Cup. And it's all exciting and we love getting behind everyone. But if no one you know makes a run at a major, it's sort of not as not as it sort of ends up being a bit joyless. And and so I, I was impressed with Norrie and I thought he could have he, he could have really easily beaten Zverev, you know, I I bet if you give him that tiebreak again, it's a whole different story, or at least it could be. You know, Zverev serves so well, and there's there's not an awful lot Nori could do. You know, it's only first to ten. It can be a pretty, it can go by pretty quickly if you're not right at it. Yeah, impressed with Cam Nori. Not so impressed with everyone else, basically. <laughs> but I think, yeah, Draper. It's the man to sort of lead the charge on the men's side. And then any one of your kind of Bolters, Burridges, Harriet Darts are going to be all in the in the running. Hopefully they can all stay kind of in that top 100, move into the top 50 and, and get themselves these guaranteed places in, in the majors. Well, Sam, quickly before, before we end, one final question slash idea. We were chatting a little bit beforehand and we talked about it throughout podcast a bit how maybe there needs to be a change in the format of of the majors with the men playing five sets the women playing three so my my idea i said i pitched it to you i think that both men and women should play best of three sets to maybe like the, the third or fourth rounds and then from the fourth round or the quarters on they should both play um best of five sets because i think it would allow a few upsets earlier on that maybe could make it a bit interesting but also the sort of top players would allow a bit more rest rather than having to play an extra set every day or every couple of days. They could have maybe if, if they're playing well, they just win in two sets, half an hour, 40 minutes, they can then have, you know, a nice little hour extra extra off every day. Whereas once you get through to the final the final few rounds, and, and as we talked about with the women's, it's it's very hard to call who is going to win because they're only playing three sets at most that all it takes you to have one bad set, two bad sets and, and you're out and that's you done. Whereas in the men's, it allows a lot more, a lot more, not consistency, but you have to be a better player for longer to to win a major. What what are your thoughts on on that maybe being a possibility? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an exciting idea actually. I don't, I don't, I don't mind it. 
I think it's a cool idea. I think, yeah, we it would have been interesting. I mean, it had it had this applied at the US Open last year, we'd we'd have not seen a Djokovic winner. <laughs> we'd it had gone out in the second round. So I don't really know what it would end up doing. I mean, it'd be it'd be strange because no woman has had to win a best of five match at a major. So so to have the have the have both the men and the women playing these best of five games. I mean, it would also it would also help with a lot of scheduling earlier in the in the tournaments. We wouldn't see these, you know, Medvedev sort of larking about at four a.m. in you know Australia, keeping everybody up. I think I mean you you can even point to Medvedev specifically. I think he spent over twenty four hours on court in total, and that's over sort of seven odd game seven odd matches. So he spent an awful lot of time playing. I think he'd be rather grateful for your. Uh, idea despite the fact that it was likely have seen him <laughs> drop out much earlier than he'd have liked i feel like it it could maybe a lot of the sort of topsy players would like the idea of it until they end up losing in the first or second round of matches which they feel like they wouldn't lose normally yeah i mean it in you know in qualifying in qualifying for these majors i think they're all um best of three it's and, and of course ev- everywhere else on the tour it's best of three atp finals it's best of three so it's not an unusual format. And I mean, I, I I do very much doubt that they'll ever adopt it. <laughs> I think I think we get these five set thrillers that everyone just loves. And I think having them change around would sort of just end up muddling up the tennis powers that they wouldn't want it, I think. But I think it's it's an exciting idea because it would almost act as a kind of more fast paced, exciting format where oh that's interesting so and so's been you know knocked out and i think it'd, it'd be strange because you'd get these you would still get as many up i mean at least in the women's you know they're of course best of three anyway so you'd you'd still get these up i mean rubikina sviatek jubov on where they'd all still be out under this under this sort of proposed system i don't i don't hate it toby i think there's there's legs to it i mean it'll be a pretty hard sell i think do you think it would be more likely that that maybe the women just play five sets in majors or do you think that will never happen as well because i think part of my thinking was the fact that you never get these five set thrillers in the women's game which would be fantastic to see because they never get this opportunity yeah i mean i i don't think they're going to take away five sets from the men anytime soon i think there's there's always this kind of dialogue that that happens throughout this throughout the season really especially around grand slam time that you know maybe is it that is it that Djokovic is winning because he's best of five tennis player? And, and the answer is probably yeah, he is. You know, you see him just outlast, and his experience kind of prevails in the end, and he and he gets through these games and gets through these matches against players that can play well, as you know, for two hours. They can play brilliantly for two hours, and he holds on, and it just doesn't take much for it to flip, and and he and ends up walking the the, the last three. So I think it would it would be a it would be a really exciting idea. It's difficult because you don't necessarily want upsets for sort of upset sake. It's nice to see the top four or five players in the in the semis of a major because they're the players you want to see. Really, I don't know how how they'd adjust it. I think there's there's always work to be done on the tennis tour. They 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 want to sort of shake things up every now and again, but I think they sort of slightly 
talk a bit more than they do in terms of shaking tennis up it, it more or less stays the same they occasionally try and sort of you know do a flashy gimmicky tournament at the end of the year or whatever but i don't think i think five sets in the men and three sets in the women is probably here to stay maybe we'll have to set up our own tournament sam and we can implement it and show everyone else <laughs> what they're missing out on yeah well exactly there, there's only there's only opportunity here rather <laughs> than that we don't we're not going to go to the you know ATP and get rejected. We're going to make our own kind of breakaway. The PTA. That's the, that's the way forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I have to see. Exciting times. Yeah, very much so. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on, Sam. It's been great hearing all of your insight about the Australian Open uh, and looking forward to the future of uh, tennis. Yeah, no problem, Tom. It was brilliant to speak about it. It's a busy two weeks, so it was great to be able to digest it on here with you. Thank you all so much for listening and make sure you head over and follow us on social media. It's at pitchside underscore podcast on Instagram, Toby Reynolds 10 on TikTok and Toby underscore Reynolds 10 on Twitter. Head over to the Sports Gazette website to read articles from all of our pundits and writers here at the Sports Gazette. Make sure you like the podcast and give it a rating. It really helps. And make sure to join us next time on Pitchside. Podcast Network.